In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. Evelyn Starr joins us this week on Money Tales. Evelyn is an entrepreneur. She started her business when she was pregnant with her second child. Her goal was to be productive outside of the confines of corporate America. Because she and her husband planned their personal finances carefully, they could rely on a single income to cover their expenses. This gave Evelyn freedom to grow her business on her terms and achieve the balance she was seeking. Let me tell you a little bit more about Evelyn. She's an author, brand expert, and marketing consultant. Evelyn uses her keen powers of observation and insight to help her clients wow their customers and grow their businesses. Evelyn specializes in working with brands in adolescence, brands that have stalled after their initial success. Her book, Teenage Waste Brand, How Your Brand Can Stop Struggling and Start Scaling, was published in April 2021. Hi there, this is Sandy. Here are three key money conversation topics Evelyn hits on in this conversation. First, the power of being exposed to how much things cost at a young age. Second, the importance of choosing health over money. And third, how do you stay motivated in your business when current cash flow is not your goal? We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Evelyn Starr. Hey, Money Tales listeners. I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today with our guest. Before we get there, I have to ask you, Sandy, you've recently been on a very special trip. Would you share a little bit about it? Of course. Thanks for asking. I just got back from five days with my son. We were checking out colleges on the East Coast and we had such a special time together. And we had a lot of money conversations, Cammie. Tell us about them. Well, I'm proud to say that I did not, in most cases, start these many conversations. Really? Yep. Ben was bringing them up. He had a lot of curiosity around college, the financial cost of college, what his expectations should be, what should he expect, what shouldn't he expect. As we were going from school to school, he was very conscious about the different financial aspects about each institution what merits help might be available or not be available, and really trying to connect that with post-college expectations that we have of him to be financially independent. (laughs) Was he surprised by any of the expectations you discussed? Much to my delight, was very thankful and had a lot of gratitude. He has a perspective that education is a privilege and I think he's feeling really good about what we're expecting him to put into the experience and what we're financially going to put on the table. 
again, fun trip. I don't think I've ever spent that much time with him, just him and me one-on-one in his life. And I'm not sure when it might happen again. So I loved every second of it. I bet you did. And I love that he instigated these money conversations. All right, let's take this now to our guest. Welcome, Evelyn Starr, to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Start us off with an introduction, if you will. And in doing so, would you provide a couple pivotal moments really impacted you at some point in your life, making you the person you are today? I'm a marketing consultant and an author. I'm originally from the New York area. So I was born in Brooklyn and grew up in Fairlawn, New Jersey, which is in Bergen County. After college, I moved to Boston with no job and one check of my four-figure life savings. So I will say that move was the first pivotal point I'd like to mention. There was no shortage of recent college grads in Boston, so it took me quite a while to find a job, pretty much a full year, to find what I would call my first real job. I worked there for a couple of years, and then I enrolled in a full-time MBA program, which was always my plan. I had loved school as an undergrad, and toward the end of the first semester, I was miserable, and I made the decision that after the first year, I was going to switch from full-time to part-time. And that, I would say, is the second pivotal moment I want to highlight for you because finances played a role in that decision. After my MBA, I continued to work in corporate America in marketing research, or they call it now consumer insights roles and new product manager roles, until my last role after I had my first child, where my patience with corporate America's meetings and lack of actual work time went from waning to zero. So I went out and started my own business, which I always thought I was going to do. But as a 20, 30 something, I was thinking that would be way in the future, maybe my latter 40s. And instead, it was two months shy of my 34th birthday when I was two months pregnant with my second child. That would be the third pivotal moment I want to mention. What a great introduction, Evelyn. Let's go back to your time growing up in New York. I was born in Brooklyn. I pretty much grew up in northern New Jersey. We moved out of the city in 1970 because my father, who was a financial person through and through, had a big influence on my ideas of money, saw that New York City was going to go bankrupt and knew that they wanted better for us for schools and other things. And that's the reason we left. Wow. All right. Say more about your dad's influence on you and your relationship with money today. Well, my dad's always been a financial guy. He probably would have loved to work on Wall Street, but things didn't go his way initially. So he got a job in credit. And that is where he spent his career, ultimately ended up being the president of a financing and leasing corporation for machine tools. Neither of my parents had much money growing up, and they channeled that (laughs) into our upbringing by teaching us to get value for our money, to know what things cost before we go to the register, to count our change and make sure it's correct. So important. We take it for granted. Yeah. Basic stuff like that, that has been amazingly helpful all life long. We were savers. My father really advocated saving. And actually, I want to tell you one little story about the way that he really ingrained that in us. When I was in second grade, the local bank instituted a program through the schools where you could make deposits in your account on a weekly basis. And I brought all the information home. My dad looked at it and realized 
what a great opportunity this was. So this is in the early 70s. And he said to me, not only would I support you doing this, but for every quarter you put in each week, up to 25 cents, I will match it. Ooh, incentive. It was amazing. If you saw my childhood bank book, you'd see deposits of 17 cents, 31 cents, 25 cents. But after a while, if you're doing that on an almost weekly basis, it really adds up. How did you take those lessons and manifest them in your life as you moved on to college and then later to graduate school? How that factored into my life as I became a young adult and then into full adulthood is that I really believed that I needed to save up for things I wanted. And then I needed to work for things I wanted. So the summer before college, I got a waitressing job. And when I arrived on campus, I just assumed that anything I spent was on me. Wait a second. So you assumed it. There's no conversation. So my parents were each the very first one in their family to go to college. So going to college was a very strong value in the household I grew up in. My father, via some bonus program, he managed to get himself into started saving for our college education. I should say my parents started saving when I was four. So I had the unbelievable luck of having no debt. They were going to fund all of that. Rohit Bargava, when he was on your show, also talked about how wonderful it is to graduate debt-free. So going in and knowing this and being in awe of this gift, I didn't want to ask for anything more. I figured books and entertainment and all those things should be on me because they had already gone above and beyond. Amazing. Some people take that gift for granted. And I'm curious, why did you think so deeply that this was a gift and you had to cherish it? Well, because I saw the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I knew what it was costing. And it wasn't the first time that I'd had this moment because my parents were candid about money. I mean, I didn't know exactly what the household finances were, but as a kid, I liked to go out to eat, which for the five of us in my family, because I have two younger siblings, meant going to a diner and having dinner for 25 or $30. And so I'd go to my dad as a child and say, let's go out to eat tonight. And he'd say, no, we can't do that. We need to save that money for vacation. And he was serious. And so they weren't massive abject lessons, but these little moments in my brain of you need to save, you need to be forward looking, had me conscious of what they were spending. I just want to underscore something that I really appreciated. You saw the numbers. A lot of times when it's esoteric, you don't see the numbers, you don't know. How do you appreciate your folks showed you those numbers? Yeah. And there's one other little story I'd like to share actually that pops into my mind. I got braces when I was in sixth grade. And instead of having me out of the room, my parents had me in the room when my dad negotiated with the orthodontist, because my parents were big negotiators, not in an obnoxious way, but in a very savvy way. And so I'm sitting there and my dad says, what's the price if we pay you cash? And the orthodontist says $1,500. And my father said, okay. And I'm sitting there as a 10-year-old and my jaw is dropping in my head like, they're going to spend $1,500 on my teeth? I better take really good care of my teeth. And to this day... You have, I see it. They're beautiful. Thank you. But those moments and having your kids involved in that, you don't always have to be beating it into their head. Just observing that was so helpful. I love where this conversation is going. And I'm wondering, Evelyn, what it was like for you when you graduated college and you found yourself in Boston seeking full-time work and it taking a year. What was that experience like? 
it was stressful in a lot of ways because I moved up and only knew two people here. I'd come up in September after graduation. I'd spent the summer going through Europe. My parents gave me a financial gift and I spent it in Europe. (laughs) So I had my own maybe $5,000 at most. And I came up in September and found a roommate, somebody who had an apartment already set up and was looking for a roommate and moved up in October 1987. For those of you old enough to remember about two weeks before the stock market crashed. So it was not a great time to be competing with other college grads. And by the time December rolled around, as much money as my life savings had felt, my bank account dipped below four figures. And I thought, "Uh oh, I got to go do something. But it was never, I got to talk to mom and dad because that's not how I was raised. So I just signed up with temp agencies. And at the beginning of the following year, I started temping every week, all the time. That's how I bridged it. And, you know, I made sure... I was very responsible because that was the environment I grew up in. It was, you don't spend or commit to things you can't pay for. You don't use a credit card for anything that you don't already have the money in the bank to buy. I knew I had to make rent every month and I needed to pay for my own groceries and I needed to pay for my transportation and made it work. So you were resourceful. You were using the values you were taught as a child and putting them to work for you. What did it feel like? knowing that you were stretching between two worlds. You were out of college. You wanted a full-time career. You couldn't quite get there. How did that feel? It was stressful in part because it wasn't just my career I was trying to build. I was trying to build a social life. I had more Saturday nights at home those first couple of years than I'd like to remember. There were a lot of things going on, but I also felt like I had the comfort of knowing that my temp job was going to pay my bills. That was very stress relieving. I knew as long as I was responsible for myself. And then I tried to take care of myself also. So exercise has always been my outlet. So I got myself a gym membership even before I got a job. At the end of the day, I would go to that gym and bike off my frustrations. So that really helped. And not sitting by the phone waiting for the phone call. I don't really count it as my first job, but I had a really horrific first job experience that only lasted six and a half weeks and that sent me back to temping. So that was also really stressful. Any interesting money learnings there? It was the only financial job I ever had. (laughs) (laughs) I got a job as an analyst for low-income housing credit manipulation, or I can't even tell you, I remember I was 22 at the time. And it was by a recruiter, a recruiter for a $20,000 job in the 80s. That should have been my first signal that something was wrong in a town that is filled with people right out of college. But I didn't see that signal. I started to work there and it was a very young place. So I got some friends there, which I really liked. There was that value. But it was a toxic workplace where my boss would say, I can't believe you're not doing this right. I happened to go to Vassar College. I can't believe you got into Vassar. You're unteachable. There were all sorts of things. Oh, it sounds abusive. Yeah, it was really abusive. And my dad, who I had had business conversations with him probably since the time I was six or seven. I could tell you what float was by the time I was seven years old. He listened (laughs) to me for about four weeks. And then he said, promise me something. When it begins to affect your health, you'll leave. And two and a half weeks later, I came home with an awful stomach ache. And then it dawned on me. And I looked at my roommate and I said, I have to quit tomorrow because I promised my dad. 
Isn't that amazing? He gave you the okay that you can walk away, which is pretty hard to do as a young person. You're proud of this job. A recruiter found you. That's an amazing learning. Yeah. And then the thing is, the day I quit, talk about money lessons, I went straight from quitting to the temp office to re-up with them because I knew I needed to pay the bills. Very responsible. Evelyn, let's jump ahead and tell us what it was like to be a new mother expecting another child and starting your own business from a financial perspective. It wasn't that stressful for me because my husband and I, I think Rachel Bloom used this term when she talked, speak the same money language. We're on the same frame. So he's also a saver. He's an investment advisor. So he's fiscally conservative. Not that those always go hand in hand, but (laughs) often, right? So before we had kids, when we were looking to buy a house, I said to him, I don't know if I'm going to want to work or stay home. Let's see if we can buy a house where we can support it on one salary. So at the moment that I started my business, I had just gone back to work and worked for nine months at my last company. And we thanked that money because we were living on his one salary as we had planned to. And so I had some financial running room to build a business over time. There wasn't the pressure to get up and running fast. My plan was to network over the rest of my pregnancy. I was two months pregnant. So for seven months, take a real maternity leave, not the 10 weeks of short-term disability that corporate America gives you, and then come back and try to parlay those networking connections into clients. It was kind of a longer-term plan. I exceeded my goal because I got my first client in my eighth month. I went to, I guess the store was called Pee in the Pod. I bought the largest suit you've ever seen in your life, right? (laughs) It was like a tent on me for the last two months. And the client was Gillette. So they were fabulous to get my business started. I worked for two months. They knew that I was having a baby. And then I called them the next January when I finished my maternity leave, self-directed, and said to them, hey, I'm back. Would you like to have lunch sometime? And their response was, could you be here Tuesday? So that's how my company got rolling. Wow. Evelyn, this idea of not moving the bar, you really pulled it back. You said, let's make sure we don't stretch ourselves when you're buying your first home. When you think back now, do you wish you had done anything differently? Oh, no. This has been so freeing. It actually affected how I set the financial goals for my company because it was a little bit of a quandary. I'm in business by myself. I've made the decision. I'm going to be a solo professional. The time I spend working, I want to work. I don't want to be managing other people. So how do I set my financial goals so that they allow me the freedom I want, but they still motivate me? Because my income is not making a difference in our daily lives. It's not crucial. I'm I'm so very lucky and privileged. I understand that. But I also want to be motivated. Taking a long-term view, being the child of a financial person and the wife of a financial person. I saw that what I made, while it wouldn't affect our day-to-day lives, could have a real impact on our retirement. And I structured pretty much from the beginning my goals to max out my 401k and my profit sharing. So that's where my aim was every year is to make enough to put away as much as possible. And 23 years later, some years were good, some years were lean, but I'm fiercely proud of that nest egg that constitutes a serious chunk of what our retirement savings are. It sounds like you and your husband were really thinking about the totality of your lives and making decisions that not only met the needs of today, but the needs of the future. You've been a saver. So you're always coming from this place of making sure that the key expenses were covered. 
gave you some freedom to keep yourself motivated in your career. How are you defining success? The reason I founded my company, I wanted freedom, but I also wanted professional challenge. And I wanted to be there for my kids. My husband was not at all interested in being a stay-at-home person. And I wanted a parental presence. That's not to say that every woman should do that, but I wanted to be here part of the time. My whole business has been about balance. So the success for me is, yeah, I know I only made this, but look what I put away. And I was here when, or I was volunteering in the classroom, or I was able to support my parents in this or help somebody else out. For me, it's always been about balance and also quality of life from a financial perspective. We haven't really talked about that, but there was an element of that. It wasn't always just save, save, save. There was a book published, I think, in the 90s called The Millionaire Next Door. Mm -hmm. I read that book. My husband read it. My father read it. And what we all agreed was there was some really interesting suggestions there on how to save money, but nowhere in the book did they talk about enjoying the here and now. Life isn't guaranteed. And if you save exclusively for the future, you miss out on a lot. And so there was this element of you need to also be enjoying yourself and again, striking some balance between now and the future. How did you and your husband approach that? Because that's really hard to do. If you're innate savers, you've told us you both are, that can almost be in conflict. Were there any tools you used? How did you go about enjoying the fruits of your labor and getting comfortable with that spend? Well, we believed in vacation. (laughs) We didn't hesitate. Our honeymoon was in Greece. We traveled to Europe a few times, especially pre-kids and at least and twice after kids, because we were very, very fortunate that my parents would take the kids for when they were really young, a week or more. We also had a habit of going away for a weekend with our best man and his wife, and my in-laws would watch our kids once we had kids in that situation. This was part of your values, it sounds like. It was part of our values to take some time off. Even when we were both working for other people, once we had kids. We would take a hooky day once in a while. I feel like it's safe to say that now. He's been self-employed for a while. (laughs) We would drop the kids off at daycare and the both of us would take the day off and we would go do something. And so it wasn't always about the amount of money you'd spend, but, you know, creating time for each other. That's beautiful. You're really bringing to life the opportunities we have when we make conscious decisions about how to spend and earn money versus how to spend and earn time. I'm curious, what's the most outrageous thing that you've spent money on in your life? My husband, it was so nice that he was giving me a ring for our engagement. I went and bought him a $1,000 watch, which for me at that time was a lot of money. But I wanted to express my love and I wanted it to be more equal. I didn't like the idea that men are always supposed to give women. It's interesting because we were just talking about time and money and (laughs) that's what you spent your money on. It sounds like it was a very meaningful purchase. Yeah, it was. But we've also, we took a family trip in 2019 to Iceland. My son, who was a geology major, really wanted to see a volcano. And my daughter wanted to go someplace in Europe or Europe-like. And we only had a week. So Iceland is where we went. And we sprang for a wonderful excursion where we went down into an extinct volcano. That was like $350 a person. So 1400 bucks for us for the day, but it was really worthwhile. So once in a while, we do that kind of thing. Oh my gosh, Evelyn, my daughter, who's six, 
wants to be a geologist as well, or along those lines. She's really enamored with crystals. So we are always on the hunt for crystals. So I love that story. I want to know a little bit about writing your book, Teenage Waste Brand. What a fabulous title. Tell us a little bit about that. The inspiration is the work that I had been doing for years in my own company, because most of my clients were business owners who hadn't come to their business through a business education or a marketing education. And so as soon as you start marketing, they say two things. One, I hate marketing, which really means I'm afraid of marketing. It's always falling to the bottom of my to-do list is what they were saying. They're never getting to it. And you dig a little deeper and you find out it's just, they have no idea what it is or how to do it well, or how to recognize an opportunity that's worth investing in so that they're going to get some return. Over time, I kept seeing these businesses that would launch and do really well for a while and then plateau. I was trying to explain to them the kinds of things that they needed to do. So I thought to myself one night, I wonder if businesses could be like teenagers. Like, could they have an adolescence? And I started to explore this idea that they grow for a certain point and then there's changes that need to happen and they become a little more independent. And that research and that theory, I started testing in a newsletter. When it got some positive response, I decided that I was going to write a book. And so in my book, you don't really need to know marketing jargon, but I can tell you that brands, when they're in adolescence, can oversleep, they can have identity crises, they can run with the (laughs) wrong crowd, all of those kinds of things. It's so good. Helen, this has been a really fun conversation. Tell us, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? My next money conversation is going to be with my husband and my kids. My parents have decided it's time for them to downsize from two cars to one, and they have generously offered us their other car. It will be very helpful, especially as my daughter is getting ready to go to grad school. She could use a car at her disposal. So we are in the process of investigating, okay, how are we collectively responsible for that? She already knows that we're not paying for parking in Boston. And she's anteed up and said, yes, of course, I will pay for the gas. And now it's up to us to figure out how much insurance that's going to be, what's the maintenance going to be, and where's the financial responsibility going to break out for all of that. Evelyn, what a great money conversation you're going to have. It sounds like this is pretty common for you all. And congratulations on her going off to graduate school. We really appreciate you joining us on Money Tales. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation so much. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.